belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for January 29th, 2023 is called Start With What? The speaker is John Ray and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is John Ray. Welcome to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. Here on this cold, foggy morning in Northwest Arkansas, or you're watching on Facebook or listening on the podcast, we're really glad that you're here. So one of our kids' favorite meals when they were growing up was eating breakfast for supper. Anybody else out there like that? What do we call it? Brenner. Okay, Brenner. There you go. Um, maybe it was my upbringing in the restaurant business, but it, it, I was pretty much a stick in the mud about this. Like this was Jane's deal. She got massive mom props for doing breakfast at dinner, and I was the grumbling grouch that this was not an appropriate meal to have in the evening with that. Um, you know, like growing up in the restaurant business, things had to be, they had to be prepared, served, and eaten in a specific order. And it just felt wrong to me to end the day with breakfast. I mean, I, but it's not really a big deal, right? But whatever. We, we all have an innate sense of how things should be done. Now, we may not agree. My innate sense may not be the same as yours. But all of us have an innate sense of the order in which things should be done. We may be total rebel when it, rebels when it comes to some things, but we are pure traditionalists when it comes to other things. And this week, we come upon a story that Anne's read for us that seems to be out of order, in a way. I mean, we're used to the story, but when we really put it in the context of Jesus' life and ministry and everything that's going on, and we thought about how things should be ordered, it seems that this one may be out of place. So Anne told the story. Um, Jesus, we assume, this is, this is recorded in John. He makes serious note that this is the first miracle. He, he goes out of his way to say this is Jesus' first miracle. And it happens almost reluctantly with it. If, you're, if you heard, you know, Jesus, Mary comes up, she recognizes the situation, and, and she tells Jesus, um, you know, about it. And he's like, what, what are you doing? Why, why are you calling me out here? It's not like we, we seem to anticipate that Jesus didn't go to the party anticipating to do, like, hey, tonight's going to be my debutante of miracles. Watch, like, I'm, I'm going to do the, the first miracle tonight. Like, he's almost caught unaware with this. And I have to ask you, like, what would your first miracle be? If you're Jesus or, or you're the Messiah and you're showing up on the scene and you're going to announce your kingdom, what would it be? What would you do, Kelly? What would your first miracle be? No. Luke, what would your first miracle be? Think about Jesus. Think about all the miracles he does. Think about his repertoire of miracles. Which, which miracle would you pull out, Emma, of your repertoire? Yeah, right? Like, uh, let's solve hunger, right? 
or, or, or healing, right? Hey, let's, let's do away with sickness with this. But Jesus' first miracle is, is basically getting people drunk on really, on really good wine. Like bringing out the good stuff for all the people who are already schnockered. Um, it doesn't, I don't know. It, it just, like, I'm like, what, why would he do this? Why is this the first miracle? How does this change the way we think about following Jesus? How does this change the way we think about what it means to be a Christian? And what I think we see are some things that I want to offer to you that, that Jesus' incarnation ushers into the start of the fullness of God's kingdom, and that demands a party. Like this is a long-awaited, long-anticipated, desperately needed advent. And in a way, when you get relief, it, it brings joy, it brings celebration, right? So, so in some ways, maybe this does have an internal logic to it of why it's there. Um, I, think, I think also the way the kingdom of God is, is about bringing freedom. It's about bringing restoration. It's about bringing renewal and resurrection. It starts with a taste of the reward. Like we have to have an imagination for it. Even though we may long for the kingdom, we may long for the, the relief of oppression, the healing, the, the provision, the, the opportunity to flourish, our imaginations have been so darkened by the reality that we live in that we've lost the ability to even imagine what that would be. And so God knows this. Jesus knows this. He, he, they, God wants to give us a taste, wants to spark our imagination towards what is and what is coming with that. So he starts with this. Well, let's see. So, so I want to ask three questions here. Like, what, what's going on at the party? What's going on between Jesus and Mary? Because this seems kind of weird, their interaction. And then what is happening with us as a result? So let's look at the first thing. What's going on at the party? Well, first of all, wedding celebrations, there's no professional sports. <laughs> They're not, they're, they're not having parties based around watching, you know, the, the football team. There's, a wedding was the social event of a person's life. And it was the social event for the community. And so to run out of wine, which you were expected to provide, no matter what the cost, no matter what you had to hawk, what you had to sell, what you had to go in debt for, was expected. And so Jesus, Mary, his disciples, they all show up at this event. Um, a lot of people have guessed whose it is. Some people have said this was John the Baptist's wedding. Um, there's no historical evidence for that. People just take a lot of guess. But anyway, it was somebody that Jesus and Mary were intimate with. They, they knew what was going on. They weren't just outsiders brought in. This was, this was somebody closely connected. So they were concerned. That's how they were aware of this whole situation. And they run out of wine. Like I said, like this would this would this would stain your name forever. This would be something you would never live down in the context of that community of that time. So this is a this is not just a hey we need to send someone out to run to the store. 
and get a few things. No, this is this is a desperate situation with this. And so Jesus then, you know, he, we'll get to it how, how it gets there when we talk about Jesus and Mary. But he turns to the servants and he says, I want you to take these stone jars for washing and I want you to fill them up with water. Which the servants must have thought, that's dumb because we're done with washing. The reason the jars were empty was because they had performed the ritual washings. There's, there's no reason there, but that's what those jars were for. They're huge. We're talking, it's not a full bath, but I mean, you would wash your head, you would wash behind your ears, you wash your neck, you wash your hands, your wrists, you would, and your feet would be washed by the servants. With that, it took a lot of water. So these are big jars. That's what's going on with the jars with that. Um, and so, and then we see that wine, not only is it expected just to provide lubrication for the social occasion of the, of the wedding, it's also symbolic. Wine is symbolic of joy. Wine is symbolic of the spirit in many ways with that. And so Jesus, by Jesus taking responsibility for providing something that had run out, is super symbolic of how Jesus acts with us. Is that when we are depleted, when we are out, when we have failed at our even most basic obligations, Jesus steps in to provide. It's interesting also in the pre in the kind of the preamble to this, where the writer makes notice this is on the third day. In Genesis creation account, what was created on the third day? Plants. Things that grow, things that the vines that produce. We're in a way, this, this gives us another clue as to why John puts this miracle first and puts it where it is, is he is seeing Jesus as being that second Adam. That second Adam theology is something we, we see throughout Scripture with that. So this is, this is John is, is maybe looking back on this event and going, probably not cognizant of it at the time. Wasn't aware. But as John thinks back and he's recording these stories, he's like, oh my gosh, that was on, like, this is, this is what was happening. That's why this thing was there with that. So that's kind of what's going on at the thing. But, but then we get this really interesting dynamic, like, what's going on with Mary and Jesus? Why, why does she seem to be like, almost like a stage mom, right? Like, Look at my boy, look at my boy, pushing him out. You know, here, get your ukulele, go sing that song, right? I don't want a mom. Um, it, there, there seems to be a little bit of this interaction. Um, but I don't think it's that. If you've heard me teach for very long, you know that I think that the, the origin of Jesus' identity, of his growing awareness of his divine origin, is almost totally due to Mary. That Mary's Magnificat, which we unfortunately usually only look at around Christmas, the song that she sang in response to the announcement that she was pregnant with this gift of the Holy Spirit, I think Jesus heard that every day of his life. I think that's the song she sang to him while she nursed him. When he, when he fell and hurt his knee and came home crying, she would sing this song to him. Like she surrounded him and bathed him in this 
her understanding of who he was. Now, Jesus had to grow into that, had to adapt it. It had to be fleshed out, literally, but also filled out by his study of the Torah as he went on and he learned the origin of these verses that Mary, his mom was singing over him and things. But it, it all starts with Mary. And in a way, like moms do, I think she saw things in Jesus that Jesus was yet to admit to himself. Like any good and attentive parent, she understands her child before the child understands himself fully. And in this situation, she is fully aware, as much as is humanly possible, of who Jesus is. And maybe Mary, before Jesus, recognizes his time has come. Maybe. It seems to be indicated that. Which if we accept that, it gives us a whole new understanding in a way of how Jesus came to know who he was but also the significance of the role that Mary played. As, as Protestants, and especially as evangelicals, we have so overreacted to the divinization of Mary as in, the, in the Catholic Church that we've, I mean, it is a baby with the bathwater to the extreme. As a result of not wanting to go this far of, you know, seeing praying to Mary or, or assigning Mary all these things that aren't necessarily biblically supported, we've, we've stripped her of the things that are there in the Bible. Like we've just, we've, we've taken her out of the story. And y'all, Mary is a central part to Jesus' story. Understanding the relationship between Mary and Jesus is key to us understanding because you know how I talked about on the third day, it said on the third day of the vegetation, just go back to creation story. There's another possible parallel here. Jesus is not only the second Adam, but Mary in some ways is the second Eve. Now, not incestuous, not coupling, but in the sense of representative, originative figures. Is that Mary holds the place as the second Eve, and she instead of giving Adam the opportunity to sin, symbolically, she gives the Savior the invitation to step out in faith. So it is the redemption of femininity, in a way, that we are seeing take place here. Not just Jesus coming out. So there's a lot here going on in this that, that we can learn from the relationship between them. Um, and then finally, what's going on with us? Because honestly, if we had to put ourselves in the story, which is a very, it's a very good way of understanding scripture, meditating on, on scriptures to read a story and go, okay, well, if I was there, where would I be? Y'all, honestly, I think probably we're the servants in this case. I think, I think maybe we're the disciples who are watching Jesus, but also I think there's a lot here that we are asked to do things we don't understand. We've talked a lot about this at Grace in the past, how 
the, the Western rationalist enlightenment way of learning is hear the information, understand the information, and then do the information, maybe. That's not the way they learned back then. That's not the traditional way, the, the Jewish way, even the classical way of learning something is hear the information, do it, and then understand it, maybe. Again, made zero sense to go fill those stone jars that are big, heavy, takes a lot of work. They're not, we're not talking about they're going back to the kitchen and getting a tap, right? Like they're having to go to a well outside of the building or to the river. This is not a quick process. And they're in the middle of the party. The servants, listen, the servants are part of the household. They probably knock back a few themselves and thinking, I don't know if I can carry that jar right now. <laughs> um, so, so they're having to go do this thing and must be just wondering, this is dumb. Why? We, the washings, we, everybody's already washed. Why do we have to fill the stinking stone jugs with this? But they do it. They do it. And I really think there's something there for us. I think this is a reinforcing of the idea that, you know, increasingly in a world that is messed up, why Why do we do the things we do? I want to go back to that question, what would your first miracle be? And I want to bring it into the, into the present. If you were to show up now as a Messiah, what would your first miracle be? Shannon, what would your first miracle be? <laughs> After today. Boy, you must have done really well in school. Um, and that's, that's their home community where those happened. And now we literally have body cam footage of a, of a life being taken. And, and it's become so routine that the footage is premiered like a movie premiere. It's like people anticipate it like some kind of form of grotesque entertainment that we watch these things. And I, and I think about the world where we live in where hundreds of thousands of lives are being slaughtered on the battlefield in Europe. You have this gross inequity and violence in our schools, in our homes, on our streets here in, in the United States, in the, in the world, the, the climate crisis seems to be just, pardon the, pardon the pun, heating up, right? The things happening. And I think about it, if I'm the savior of the world, if I'm God incarnate, and I come down to show up, forget a party. Let's get some justice done. Like let's let's stop the violence. Let's let's pull the people up out of poverty. Let's let our doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals actually treat people instead of being constrained by this system that seems to just suck money out for the 
because they own stock in medicine. Like my first miracle? Healthcare for all, maybe? Somehow? My first miracle? Um, we're actually going to address the, the violence, the epidemic of violence? My first miracle? We're actually going to do something about climate in a way that is restorative? I, I, I think I would be, I think I would almost be offended at the thought of starting with the Lord. Now, that shows you why I'm definitely not Jesus, for one thing, right there. But, but I think, I think the answer that I would give to, and, and make no mistake, they were facing the same things. This is not new. That society and that world that Jesus walked into, he was from an oppressed people group. They were, they were an occupied people by a brutal uh, foreign military occupying force. There was a tremendous amount of societal conflict going on at that time between the different factions what we would call conservatives or progressives or independents or whatever you were, they had internal societal conflicts that was leading to incredibly harsh situations for people living. So it's not like Jesus got a pass. He just showed up when everything was great so he could start a party. No, he, he enters into the same situation that we are in, in many ways. And yet... And yet, he starts with a party. He starts with dessert, not, not even just breakfast. He starts with dessert <laughs> with this. Um, there's, no, there's no healing here. There's no sermon preached. He doesn't do this and then say, okay, now that I have everybody's attention, you like the wine? Hey, this is a good glass, right? Yeah. Oh, really? You like the rosé? Hold on. Okay, you got rosé. I mean, like, he wasn't he wasn't showboating. He wasn't grandstanding. He didn't use this as kind of a bait and switch. He didn't, he didn't use this to get everybody's attention so then he could perform a miracle or preach a sermon. No, he, he, just, he just did this thing. He stepped in and became what was needed for the situation, for his friend. And like I said, there's some implications we get that looking back, theologians have reflected on this and said, oh, that's symbolic of that, and that's symbolic of that, and that's symbolic of that. All true. But in the moment, it is Jesus, it is God providing where there's no other option. And that's what the kingdom does. The kingdom solves the problems we can't solve. It's the answer to the questions we can't answer. It's the healing that we can't provide for ourselves. It's the sustenance that we are deprived of and there's no way to get it. That's what the kingdom is and that's why I think it starts with this. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. It's interesting that also this happens right after, remember what, what did we study last week? Yeah, the wilderness. What did Jesus refuse to do when he was hungry with the rocks? Turn them into bread for himself, right? Feed himself. 
So here's God who won't turn a rock into bread, which would be the simplest of miracles you would think of, for himself. In the very next story that we get, turns water into wine for people. Like, like think about, think about what that tells us about God. Think about what that shows us about God's care, compassion, what motivates God to do things. It's fascinating with that. And then lastly, I want to say, like, Every, every week in our learning guide, we add this little thing about how does this reflect belong, become, believe. And y'all, if there's a story in Scripture that reflects why we've adopted that as our motto, think about it. We're at the party. We already belong. We're here. And then we're asked to go fill these stone jars with water. This is the becoming. Why? What, what does that mean? Why do we do that? Okay. I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll step out. I don't understand. I'll step out. That's what we do as church. And what's the last line of this? What's the last line you read? <laughs> he reveals himself. And what, what are the disciples? What's the disciples' response? And they believed in him. The believing came after, y'all. The believing didn't, didn't allow the, the thing to be done. No, the believing was the result of the obedience of following the instructions of Jesus. That's why we have these things ordered this way. That's, that's the way it happens. That's the way it happens in scriptures. That's the way it happens with us. So, as you come to this table today, come take the elements, hold them. We're going to take them together. We'll sing a little bit and then we'll take them together. Every Sunday we do this. You don't earn it. This isn't something that you get at the end of the week. Sunday, traditionally, for Christians, is the start of the week. We start with the party. You ever thought about that? Communion is starting with the symbolic party of the kingdom. Then we go into our week to do the things. This isn't a reward. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to belong. It's an invitation to imagine what the kingdom is like. It's an invitation to be present and say, yes, I don't understand. I accept with that. So as you come up, think about that. Hold the elements and then we'll take them together. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.